Welcome to the Field Target Podcast. This is episode 20, and I'm glad you could join us. In this episode, I'm interviewing Ken Hughes, two-time national champion back in 2010 and just a couple years ago in 2015. He's a match director down in Atlanta. He's hosted GPs. He's hosted nationals. He's a former Board of Governors member, and uh, I see him as an ambassador of the sport. Welcome to the show, Ken. Hey, Scott. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm saying you're an ambassador ambassador to the sport because uh, one of my club members came back one time and said, yeah, I shot with Ken, and, uh, you know, he's gave me some tips on my standing shots, and uh, and I'm doing a lot better. And, you know, it's that, that kind of thing about field target, and uh, and you particularly, that uh, has always impressed me. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I try and try and help folks as much as I can because getting better at it's uh, what it's all about. Certainly had enough people have helped me over the years. Well, that's what I was going to say. How many years have you been shooting field target, Ken? Oh, I started back in 1989, so quite a few years, almost 30 now. And you live uh, near Atlanta, right? Yep, suburb north northwest of Atlanta. And you are involved in the Atlanta Club, and you do stuff with the club and over in Heflin as well. Yep, the Mount GI Air Gunners help uh, help Paul and a little bit here and there, and and we've run several matches as well as uh, Grand Prix matches as well as nationals together. So it's been a good good for both of us, both clubs. And I've always enjoyed going down there. Been down there twice, uh, once for the nationals and once just this past, uh, I guess it was May. And you always put on a good show. And anybody that's listening to this uh, who wants to go to a, a great event and uh, see a lot of great shooters and a very interesting course, um, try to go to one of the GPs. Uh, or just a shoot down in Heflin, uh, or in, or in near Atlanta. So, um, so Ken, tell me how back in 18, 1989, you got into this. How did you get exposed to it? Um, well, to start with the air gun side of it, uh, which obviously has to come before the field target side of it, uh, was actually an ad for Beeman air guns in a popular mechanics uh, magazine and uh yeah just uh i sent away for a catalog just from looking at the ad and and uh you know like most people do you know, i was a bit younger then so i can say it i i lusted over you know all the great advertising and the pictures and you know it's one thing dr beeman did really well oh uh, gosh yeah i've got a few of those yeah. those still here and I, I i look back at uh I guess mine are from the early to mid nineties, the few that I have. And, uh, you know, back then I was looking at these things just saying, wow. Oh yeah. They, they were beautiful. Uh, yeah. and he's, I still have them as well. And I look at them from time to time and just go, yep, that's what, that's what got me. So, so what did you order? Buying, uh, yeah. I was going to ask. So got you... an R1. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I couldn't afford a, a new one. Uh, so I ended up buying a used one. And uh, shot it for for a little while, um, and then uh, it wasn't too long after that that uh, I know I was doing like everybody does. They start off just shooting tin cans in your backyard. I lived in an apartment, so I would go over to this field across the way from where my apartment was, and would stand over there and shoot tin cans. And I thought I was doing something pretty right when I could hit the tin can at 25 
yards away, you know, a and couple of times out of, you know. <laughs> did you have I it thought, scoped wow. or did you have just open sights? I, I had a, a blue ribbon four power. I, okay. I, you know, I thought that was to catch pajamas at that point. So uh, <laughs> I did what I could do with it. I didn't really know. I never grew up shooting, so I didn't know anybody uh, much to even ask about it. I just sort of was figuring around, and that was pre-internet days and the flood of information you can get now from anybody. Um, and I happened to be – there was only in Atlanta, which is kind of amazing as big as Atlanta, there was only two places in Atlanta that sold beam and air guns. Uh, and I went to one of them before uh, I ordered the R1, actually. And the local club, which was run by a guy named Mike Pownow at the time, um, was uh, had a little display where he had cut out a little wooden field target and had these little flyers. And I picked one up, and I guess I'd had the gun for, I don't know, three or four months before I finally decided to venture out to the, to the club and meet Mike. And, and uh, my first field target adventure was, uh, I wouldn't say humbling, Looking back on it, it's pretty humbling, but uh, at the time, I was just excited as I could be about it, and I managed to hit three targets out of 40. Three targets. So so this was 1989, and um, so what, what was the, the game like when you first showed up at a, a match? Oh, well, Mike's, Mike's place was, uh, was in some woods behind where he worked, which happened to be a Christian school, and he had a shooting team that uh, did, you know, more traditional 10 meter stuff. And he had learned about field target and he was trying to get, you know, that people interested in that as well. Um, but as far as like people shot, I mean, I saw people out there with running bore, fine work bow running bore, 603s and, uh, FWB 300s. And there were definitely a lot lower powered scopes and targets were all big, you know, full size, uh, 50 was as far as you could go. And you didn't see many, uh, didn't see a ton of those at a match, you know, maybe one or two matches were shorter. Uh, you know, most matches, a 40, 40 shot match was a, was a pretty long match. Um, just it's so long ago, it's hard to even remember it all. There's, you know, you saw, didn't see it so much here, but in, I know the first time I went to Florida for a match, you saw guys sitting in in lawn chairs with putting their elbows on the the sides of the armchairs and uh, you know down like beach chairs I guess down mm-hmm. low and shooting that way I'd never seen that before. How were people shooting at the first match or the first matches that you went to down down in Georgia? Um, as far as like the the shooting positions, would, uh, sitting, but it was. Uh, I guess it was pretty much the same. It wasn't a whole lot of difference. You didn't have, you had people who sat and then you had people that just, they shot everything standing. Um, like I said, scopes were a lot lower powered. You know, if somebody had a four to 16, that was a, that was a pretty serious scope, you know, um, three to nines were more the common thing. It was much more spring guns and like I said, low powered guns, that kind of stuff. Um, How did the ranging it, work? Was it uh, with the adjustable objectives, or was it just eyeballing? Yeah, yeah. I think most of it, you know, you turned to the objective, but reality was you just sort of guessed and right. and figured it out from there. I mean, it was we're talking right when, at least from from 
you know, when you're just getting into something, it's, it seemed like it was just at the point where PCPs were starting to, you know, the Shamals were just taking hold and, uh, the NJRs came out a year or so after that, or right along in there, which replaced the Shamals, um, the, the higher powered scopes, the six and a half to twenties and that kind of stuff where people were just hitting that. So, um, you know, it was, it was more a hunting situation then than, a, you know, as opposed to a target game. Um, it, it changed pretty quickly. <laughs> and, and I, I suppose that early on you, you got to meet people like Rodney Boyce and those guys. Oh yeah. I was, I was lucky enough to meet and, uh, have shot with a, a lot of great guys. I mean, Nick Jenkinson, Rodney Boyce, uh, I bought my, my first pre-charge gun through Rodney from Nick. Um, now I've shot, got to shoot with Robert Crocker for a bunch of years, still shoot with him when he, when he can come up, mm-hmm. uh, come down, I should say from South Carolina. And, you know, I've had a, I've been pretty lucky and fortunate in all in that. I mean, Alan Otsuka and guys from California and, um, um, you know, a bunch of folks, too many to, too many to remember, to be honest with you. <laughs> sure. Sure. <laughs> and so, and then, so after the early years and the, the R1, where did you go in terms of, of the, the gear and, uh, and the shooting? Well, I'll have to say, I didn't follow a very traditional path for some folks. Uh, I, I did the R1 for a pretty limited time. Uh, probably not quite a year. Um, and like I said, most of that was plinking uh, in the yard and a little bit of playing. The first time I went to, uh, a bigger, well, I wasn't even a big match. I just traveled to a match, uh, went down to, uh, it was a club in Albany at the time, uh, that was just getting started. And a guy there had an, had an NJR 100. And the first time I saw it, that was all it took. Mm-hmm. I was going to have one no matter what it took. <laughs> I saw it. I shot it. He was nice enough. Tim McWhorter. Uh, he was like, yeah, go ahead, give it a try. And I took a few shots with it. And I was like, yep, oh, this is what I want. And then I, choked promptly when he told me how much it was going to cost and uh, then I started you know looking into all the rest of it but um, the crazy part was I ended up buying buying an NJR 100 scope all the rest of that and I really couldn't afford it and I was talking to I'm a, I'm a mechanic by trade and I was talking to one of my tool dealers about it and uh, he said oh I'll spot you the money for it you can just pay it like you're making a tool payment hmm. And, uh, that's a, <laughs> I've never run into another one since then that would even think about that, but right. that was just the kind of guy he was. And he was like, yeah, no problem. If, uh, you want to do it, we'll do it. And I'd, you know, been dealing with him for several years. So he knew I was good for it. And he loaned me the money and I went and bought a scope and ordered the rifle and got a case and a scuba tank and all the rest of that. And I showed up in Baton Rouge in 1990 with, uh, a scope and rings in one hand and a, a, a case that I hadn't even cut the foam out on or anything in the other one. And Rodney showed up with my gun and I put the gun together. So you bought it the from Friday before the match. You bought it from Rodney boys. <laughs> yep. Yep. Nick, Nick came over for the match and brought it with him. And, and uh, that's, that's where it started. I still have that gun. As a matter of fact, you ever shoot it? It's one of the ones that'll probably never go away. You ever take it out and shoot it? 
I, I, I did up until a couple of years ago. I, I took it apart to, uh, to send the pieces off the air tube off. It had gotten some, some spots on it and I got it re-blued. Mm-hmm. And I'm ashamed to say that for, I have not made the time to actually put it back together. Again. <laughs> <laughs> it's sitting in pieces on my workbench. I've got a bag full of parts and I've got an air tube rolled up, uh, in a oiled down paper and a barrel and it's all sitting in the safe and all I need to do is spend about an hour and put the thing back together and make it functional and I just I just haven't found the time to do Well that. it's it's comforting to know it's there. It's like a, a you know and uh you know I'm like that. I've got these these projects that I'm gonna get to and, and that's just the way life is. So you you bought that and uh and how long did you shoot the uh, that rifle as your main gun? Wow, I mean, pretty much, pretty much all through the '90s, for sure. I shot it a really long time. Um, yeah, it, easily 10, 12 years, something like that. And it was that was definitely the, my main my main gun for a long time. Now, were you traveling much um, shooting during that period, or were you were you doing sort of southeastern matches? What's going on? No. I, no, I did a, a fair amount of traveling. Went to the well, the first worlds they had down in Florida. Uh, then this, I went to the first ones they had over in the UK. After that, um, that would have been ninety-two. I'm not good with dates, so don't hold me to that. But I know it was the first one that they first worlds they held over there. Um, Went over to that one. Uh, been back a, a couple of times since. Been to, went to Ireland mm-hmm. in like 2003. Um, but now we, we went nationals in, in California in '96. Uh, I've done a fair amount of travel, and I've had some years when I when I haven't been able to for various and sundry reasons. But I try and I try and travel as much as I can. This year, heading off to Wales in another what five weeks. Oh well, wow, that's awesome. Well, tell me about the first Worlds, the one that you went to in Florida. Wow, okay. Uh, testing of the memory there. Yeah. Um, Rodney, Rodney Boyce uh, running the match. Uh, man, it was, got to remember, that was, I was still pretty new, even at that point. Uh, I was pretty new to what was going on and uh, wasn't privy to it, to a whole lot of, stuff you know as far as that goes but it was it was a good match i mean we had a great i I remember going and having a good time with it um getting to meet a bunch of folks coming over it was a lot of brits came over for that shoot Mm -hmm. i mean a lot i was kind of like wow all these guys came from halfway around the world to to come shoot of course you know florida's a good attraction (laughs) that's right that's right where in florida was that shoot uh it was in uh, West Palm Beach. Wow. West Palm Beach. So it was a good good spot. I mean, those guys came over by the droves and headed off to every attraction in Florida you can imagine to go to. There were folks going to it. What was the club that hosted that? Ah, that, that, that was, I don't know the name. I mean, it was Rodney's Club. I'm pretty sure it was just West Palm Beach. Oh, okay. Yeah, pretty certain of that. And then you, you liked it so much, got to know those 
fellas that you went to England the following year? Went to England the following year. Um, got to be friends with uh, with Nick and Kevin and Stuart, Stuart Lane, a bunch of folks um, back in the day. And we went to, went over there, ended up spending now uh, spending almost three weeks at Nick's with Nick Jenkinson at his house and went to a couple of different matches besides the world when we were over there. Um, Rodney Boyce and uh, and um, oh wow, White Ellis had just totally blanked on his name. Roy Pills, there we go. Uh, was another uh, another shooter back back then. Uh, he's passed away probably ooh, 15 years, 20 years ago at this point. Um, but Rodney, Rodney and Roy and I traveled over to to the UK and and uh, like I said went to a couple of shoots went to to kind of warm up and get used to how things were and a little little different there than it was here where they had uh, they had marshals at every lane and you had to take your turn as being a marshal and oh. there wasn't you didn't go around in groups it's just like the match started at whatever it was eight or nine o'clock in the morning and it finished at three o'clock in the afternoon and you could come and shoot the match at any point. Oh, really? During the day, but you, <laughs> yeah, but you had to be a marshal at some point as part of, you know, that was part of your being there. You had to be one of the, one of the lane marshals. So you would go up and they would assign you to a lane and you would stand there and you had a you know clipboard and you take their scorecard and you're, and you'd start the timer when they, when they set up to shoot and they had their two minutes to take their two shots and, and they, you'd hand them back the scorecard and they'd walk to the next lane. And so, you know, some people would, you know, come in the morning because they like to shoot then, or maybe they were worried about wind in the afternoon or vice versa. It was kind of a, it's pretty different than the way we do it and the way we've traditionally done it. So it was, it took a little bit of getting used to, but it was fun. It was that, different. That's awesome. I mean, you've got a fantastic memory. I can't even remember what I had for breakfast today, so I'm sorry that I'm pushing you on some of these some of these details. <laughs> but uh, so is, that that is so you had to be a marshal and you were doing the whole scorecard thing, and uh, you got to shoot some other matches over there, like at some of the local clubs there in in Britain. Is that where you went? Yeah, yeah. He just back in you know I, I I've not been in a while, so I don't know what the the scene is like now, so to speak. But mm-hmm. but then. You literally could go to a match on Saturday and Sunday somewhere in the UK, typically within a reasonable driving distance, according to the guys over there, all year long, just about. Wow. I mean, it was just like a constant. You could just, if you wanted to just go match to match to match every weekend, you could just do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was like, okay. So, you know, we looked around and they went, uh, yeah, let's go over here to this match. They have a, they have a nice course and a good setup and, uh, I still remember the the first one I went to. The, if you can imagine it, the, there's like a a ridge line, you know, a, a hill that goes up and it's just flat across the top. It's a ridge line, but all the the shooting lanes were going down. Instead of going up the hill and down the hill, they were going down the side of the hill, off to the left and off to the right. You walked up the middle like a horseshoe. Right. And you shot off. They had gone in and notched uh, pallets into the ground just to level, make level shooting positions. And they put them, you know, all the lanes up. And when I walked up and signed up, they were like, of course, they didn't know where I was from or anything else and didn't take them long to figure out. I didn't have the right accent, but uh, they said, 
okay, well, what, what class are you? I have no idea what you're talking about. And they had, back then they had A, B and C class shooters. And, you know, you, you they had a ranking system. You sort of got ranked uh, when you shot enough matches, but I didn't, you know, know. And the guy says, oh, okay, well, this is what we do if you're not ranked. And he hands me a sheet of paper that has all the distances to every target on the whole course. <laughs> and I'm looking at him and I'm looking at the paper and I'm like, why are you handing me this? You know, I don't. And he goes, well, that's what we do. You know, that way, you know what the distance is. You don't, it doesn't matter if you, you know, only have like a, a four power scope or something, you'll, you'll know what the distance is and it kind of levels the play and field. And I was kind of like, okay, never heard of that one, but all right. I just put the paper down and shot the way I always Right, shot. right. But uh, I thought it was an interesting thing. It was a, it was definitely a leveler of sorts. If, if you knew without having to, worry about oh right i've got a this guy's got a better range finding scope than i've sure. got or have you yeah i still think they do some in in the b what is it the bfta i do think they have a a grading system still to this day i don't know how it works it might work just like you know it continues to work like it did when you were there but um mm-hmm. it's, it's certainly different than what we have going on here so you were over there for three weeks and uh sounds like that was a great time it was yeah. Nick and, and his wife were, and his kids. His mother was alive then. It was uh, it was an experience that I that I uh, am happy I got to do, and I, I look back on with great fond memories uh, for a lot of years. Still do, as a matter of fact. About what year was that, Ken? I'm pretty sure that was in '92. '92. Pretty sure it was '92. Okay. I won't hold you to it, but uh, that, that, that is cool. So, so you were talking about some of the other stuff you did in the 90s, went to California. I'm sure you've been to Baton Rouge for their, their classic down there, um, a bunch. Oh, yeah, a bunch. Not as, not as many as some. You know, you, you start talking about the California guys, there hasn't been too many I don't, that, that those guys have missed. If they've missed them, it's usually been for a really – serious reason mm-hmm. medical wise they mm-hmm. just they go but i've been to it a bunch i haven't missed too many so so on on top of this in the early 90s uh when did uh when did the u.s get organized do you know anything about the backstory with AFTA and, and how that was created well that was a little a little bit before me um i know some of what I've been told, I mean, you had the guys out West um, um, that were getting things going. And then you had, when it got to the point of, okay, we sort of need to write rules and make a handbook. Um, you had the Kirk and dolls, Jack and Terry. Um, you had Rodney boys. Um, there were others that names escaped me at this point. David Slade would be one. I know y'all, I think you guys touched on that in the mm-hmm. podcast when we talked to him, but, um, you know, he has a better memory for that stuff uh, than I did. He was a little, I think, I don't know if he was more involved with it, but he had, definitely has a good, better memory than I do for it. But that's sort of where it started. They sort of got the, the rule book going and, uh, you know, started getting things more, solidified mm-hmm. while trying to keep it open enough to grow, which I think they did a pretty good job with that, really. 
and you ultimately became a member of the Board of Governors and maybe several times, but uh, what's been your involvement in that? Well, uh, I was I was on the board for, for one term uh, as just a board member, and then I was on it for another term as the president, which is uh, a really tough job. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, yeah, I don't know that I'm that my I'm built for for that quite, but uh, uh, I enjoyed most of it. Uh, you know, you have to make some decisions that's not always popular with. Uh, with everyone, right. um, which, you know, can, can make things tough. You know, you have, you know, for me, a lot of this sport, uh, there's as much the people, the involvement with, with friends and, and people that I've gotten to know over the years and that side of it, that means every bit, if not way more than the shooting. Right. Um, you know, I can, I can go out in the yard and shoot at any point and be as good as I need to be and what have you. But, you know, having, having people that you respect and admire and, and, uh, that you enjoy spending time with, um, from all kinds of backgrounds is stuff that I probably would never have been able to do had it not been for field target. Um, it's just not necessarily my nature and, not one who just goes, Oh, let's just go jump in a car and travel somewhere for the mm-hmm. heck of traveling somewhere. I got to have sort of a reason, a purpose and field targets gave me that purpose for, you know, years and years. And well, that was one of the questions that I was going to ask you. <laughs> and, and I think you've answered it, which is like, what keep, what has kept you in the game, you know, instead of getting burned out or bored with it and those kinds of things. And it sounds like it's mainly the people. It is. It is. That's, it's brought me back to it. I've been burned out. I mean, everybody who's done it, if you've done it to a, to a heavy degree and you've invested a lot of time, energy, and money into it, at some point you're going you're gonna to have some expectations of yourself. Uh, whether anybody else expects anything out of you or not is a different thing, but I, I think if you're, if you're in this sport, you have somewhat of a drive to begin with. Um, and that, you know, it's happened. I mean, I've I've had to take breaks from it for a while. And in the end, what always brings me back is, is the people. Right. I, that's pure and simple, you know, just, uh, friends that'll, that, uh, call and, you know, in the middle of the middle of the week for no reason, just to say, Hey, I've been thinking about you and wondering how life is and haven't talked to you in a while. And you just, that's, that's what it's about. That's cool. So, um, well, thanks for that, Ken. I think that, uh, I think your assessment's right on. I think, I think we tend to think people are talking about us more than they actually are. <laughs> Most people are interested in, in what they have going on rather than what someone else has going on. And, uh, but you know, you're right. I think most people wouldn't be doing this if they didn't have, you know, some drive to, uh, you know, to, to shoot and to compete and, you know, but I do think that the, the, the friendships and the social element are, are key to it. It's a lot like a, I would compare it, although I'm, I'm um, sort of like a golf game, you know, it's, it's all, you know, where you shoot, you, uh, you talk, you have time to, you know, just chat, walk around, spend time outside. I mean, it's, it's, it can, it can be a relaxing thing. It can be as competitive as you want it to be in, in a way. 
But um, so so moving forward uh, through the 1990s, you continued to shoot. You um, you, you shot the the NJR. When did you retire that as your primary gun? Oh, well, I moved from that one to. I'm trying to think here that I do that. Yeah, I moved from that one to a short action NJR that I that I bought um, just uh, just for something different. To be honest with you, um, you know, it wasn't like what I had shot bad, but uh, the short action which is something, just something a little different. Uh, so I, I bought bought a short action, uh, a custom stock uh, for it, and shot that for a good number of years as well. And I've, in the months of all this, between the long action and the short action, my first one and the second one, mm-hmm. I, there were times I went, you know, I shot 20 foot pounds for years, and then I would drop back down and shoot 12 foot pounds if I were going to go over to the, you know, overseas for an event, uh, a nationals or what have you. Because back then, you know, it, it was pretty much it was U.S., England, U.S., England. It was just flopping right. back and forth until other countries started getting involved enough to to start moving it around, which is pretty cool. Um, so, you know, I did the short action in various configurations, high power and short and low power for a bunch of years. And of course, it wasn't until I mean, really the, the whole World Field Target Federation thing over here didn't really start getting popular until, I mean, they were talking about it when we held the Nationals in Atlanta in 01, but it, it really wasn't solidified much until, what, 2009, mm-hmm. 8 or 9, and something like that when it really started getting hold and and going, I think is at least as my failing memory puts it. Um, yeah, I think I that's that a the question. But. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a fascinating story and and sort of the the divergence in our rules and sort of coming back to the the popularity of the you know WFTF um, division. Uh, I think it, somebody asked me if we have a club Facebook and somebody on there said you know. How can how can they promote WFTF? You know, and I said, well, it's uh, it's a problem because uh, it's hard, and there are, are other options here, right? And so a new shooter may not necessarily land in WTF WFTF at the beginning, but would sort of uh, uh, gravitate to it over time for lots of reasons. Yeah, and it's I've seen it both ways. Um, prime examples: uh, Rob Seiden. Uh, when he first started shooting with us, it was all about, you know, power and speed. And mm-hmm. you know, we shot 20 foot pounds for, you know, the first couple of three years he shot and was very happy doing it. You know, enjoyed the competition, the shooting just the same. Uh, but kept looking at us and going, why would you want to do that? You know, it's, you know, it doesn't make any sense. It's, you know, I'm like, well, it's just a different challenge. It's not a better game. It's not a worse game. It's just like, hunter or uk hunter or 10 meter or anything else they're all just different ways to enjoy shooting your gun and a different a different set of challenges so you pick which one you know suits you best if that happens to be hunter or if that happens to be 
WFTF or open or piston, uh, you know, eventually at, at some point uh, a year and a half or so ago, Rob said, you know, I'm going to try WFTF. I'm mm-hmm. going to take off the straps and turn the gun down and see what I can do. And uh, he's never looked back. He's like, ah, it's just great. That's and awesome. got Ron Brown, mm-hmm. who's another club member. And he started off and, went straight to WFDF, never even looked anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Didn't, didn't even want to talk about anything else. He was like, he did shoot his first match with a borrowed gun for, that I loaned him. Uh, and he shot Hunter and he said, well, that's pretty cool. And then he shot the shot, my Steyr and he went, but that's cooler. And that's what I want to do. <laughs> I went, okay. Well, you, you, you know, you Ken, the, um, I mean, and that's something for new shooters. We've run into it in our club. It's, uh, I get emails and I recently got one and I completely understand it because I've gotten lots like this and it's, uh, you know, I want to come to the match, but you know, I need to get ready and I need to prepare. And, um, you know, what do you think about this and that? And then generally my response is, is don't do that. Just, we have a club gun. You could shoot with me. I mean, Chris Corey, the first time he ever came to a, a shoot, um, he and I, I let him shoot my gun. He sat, and then the next thing, next season, he had a tire, <laughs> and uh, yeah. and he's been an open, and you know now he's he's going to WFTF. Um, so if if someone asked me, my first bit of advice would be don't buy anything until you, you know, you kick the tires a little bit and see if it's something that you want to get into. What would you say to a new shooter? Yeah, it sounds like you pretty much mirrored exactly what I've told people for years upon years. Um, Unfortunately, that doesn't always work because they'll call you after they've bought right. something. Um, but, you know, if you're lucky enough to catch one before they do anything, that's that's absolutely what I tell them. I'm like, they're like, well, you know, I don't know. And I'm like, look, you don't have to know. You know, that's the whole thing. It's what you're coming here to do is to learn and and see if it's something you want to that you want to pursue and if you're going to enjoy it um, and if it's going to if it's going to fit for you. So don't go spend money until you know and we have you know plenty of club members who have you know racks full of guns of any different kind that's right if you want to try just come out and shoot them and see what you like and you know some people come and it's it's kind of amazing to watch people shoot and uh, i actually had a brother-in-law who uh who shot a pre-charge gun for the first time the other the other week and uh you know he's he sits down with it and he shoots it and i said you know put it on that spinner it's zeroed at 50 yards out there just put the thing on it and pull the trigger and it should hit it and it did and it spun it and he hit it three or four times and then he stopped and i said well what do you think and he goes he's been shooting a, a spring gun i should should mm-hmm. have interjected that mm-hmm. to begin with he's he's been shooting an intech uh, uh rws intech 340 that i gave him um to shoot in his backyard and and uh, and he was like with open sight so this is the first <laughs> time with a scope First time with a pre-charge, I mean, I just took him from one end of the spectrum, slapped to the other. Right. And go, Here you go. What do you think about that? And uh, he's shooting it. He goes, he says, you know, it's fun and it hits everything. He said, but it almost feels like cheating. And I think I'd feel bad if I missed. <laughs> okay. Well, we so all feel bad when we miss. was to hit what you're aiming at. That's right. That's right. That is, uh, uh, that's a good story. And I, I mean, and I think, I, you know, I, I've said this, or maybe somebody said it to me, I don't know, but, um, you know, 
most guys, especially guys that grow up around guns, they're the best shooter you're ever going to meet. And they, they come out, they see this thing field target and they, you know, but they want to go out there and do well. And it's, you know, it's like both of us, our first few times and maybe more than that, it's, it's a humbling experience. And that's just part of the, I mean, you know, and, and one of the things that I find fascinating about it is you can, it's almost one of those things that you can never stop learning new tricks. Um, you know, it, it's all, it's a, it's a game that sort of, it's as easy as you want it to be, but it can be as complex as you want it to be. And, uh, you know, um, so, that's, that's so true. That's a good analogy. So where were we? We were, um, oh yeah. Tips for new shooters. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think getting them before they, they buy the gear is really it because, we have examples in our own club. I'm an example of it uh, where, you know, you, you you get this stuff and then you realize a few months later, oh, wait a minute, I shouldn't have done that. I, I should have gone in this direction with it because I made some purchasing errors early on. And um, and that, that's happened even to a, a, a fella earlier this year. He wants to do it. It's going to be a very good shooter, but he, he sort of made a bad decision. Um based on some of the forums uh, that he was he was looking at. Um, I guess that's another thing that's very different than from when you started. Here, there's, you know, these days, there's almost endless information, you know, the, after a few clicks. Um, how did you get your information? Just showing up and talking to people? Yeah, that was that was it. I mean, I really wasn't embarrassed with my, my three out of 40. I mean, looking back on it, I feel a little bit, but... Uh, at the time, I mean, I literally walked up to the range and said, hi, I'm Ken. I'm here to shoot air guns. And what do I need to do? You know, kind of think, cause I had no idea mm-hmm. what field target was. I mean, on any level, um, you know, the only thing I had seen was his little flyer that had some pictures on it, uh, drawings really. And, um, uh, and a little wooden cutout that looked like a target. Um, uh, and so the guy, Mike starts explaining it to me and then he says well you can sit here at the siding range and zero your gun in and I literally had to look at him and go what is that I had <laughs> zero clue what he was talking about right. none whatsoever right. so I, I didn't have any shooting experience at all so I didn't I didn't, didn't know anything so he explained to me you know trajectory and how it you know in very basic terms um, and then you know he just said you know, it's, this is what it's going to do, and this is what I would suggest. And I just started listening, and you know, except back then, that's that was the only thing you had. I mean, I didn't have a computer, and I didn't didn't have any access to one. And I'm sure there may have been some internet stuff, but I didn't have any of it. Um, so it was all just what I picked up on my own, and then going to matches and talking to people who, you know, were shooters, the Rodney voices, the Nick Jenkinson's, those guys too, you know, Robert Crocker, guys who had a lot of, you know, experience, you know, some of it shooting. Rodney was a big archery guy, but, uh, on a national level before he came into shooting. I didn't know that. Uh, there, yeah. Before the, he and Roy both were, were really big into, uh, into, uh, archery uh, of all different kinds. I remember having talks with him about, uh, shooting arrows and trajectory stuff where they would shoot arrows at two and 300 yards and just crazy stuff, mm. you know, and uh, I'm like, okay, I had a hard time in my mind only knowing Rodney as a tall, thin, 
you know, elderly man at that point, you know, <laughs> seeing him pulling back 75 and 80 pound compound bows and long recurve long bows and mm-hmm. you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, when he was talking about it, I'm going, really? You don't look <laughs> like you had the strength in any of that. <laughs> Funny. Did you ever, you, did you ever meet Rodney? No, I never did. It, it, yeah, I, I didn't get involved until early 2013. Um, so I've only been oh, you yeah. know, a few years. He's been gone a while. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Rodney was, uh, was tall and really thin, uh, you know, spindly guy. It was always entertaining to watch him shoot offhands. I mean, he looked like a flag blowing in the breeze. It was kind of funny. I have seen him more than once just throw pellets down the lane and go, okay, that's enough of that. Walk away. <laughs> <laughs> he said, I'm never going to hit him. It doesn't matter. <laughs> throw him down the lane and walk off. That's awesome. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. But yeah, there's, there's all kinds of information out there now. I mean, you know, some of it's not really worth having, I guess, but, yeah. uh, well, so you you had a couple of variations of your uh, NJR, and I know at some point, maybe I'm I'm moving ahead too fast. You ended up with a Wiscom and uh, shooting at the national championships in Maryland. Yeah, I think uh, I think before the Wiscom, I went to a Pro Target for a little bit, um, and then I went to the Wiscom. Yeah, um, that was uh, that was getting towards the end of when when John was. Uh, gonna quit making them mm-hmm. and Doug ended up ordering one and uh, we had another club member uh, Greg Garner who had a couple of I think he's had four or five over the t- over the years um, he had a couple of them I really liked one and so uh, and Doug said he was going to shoot the next season was going to start shooting the Wiscom when he got it and I said well, all right I haven't shot any I did shoot a TX before that, actually, come to think of it. <laughs> in the mid-2000s, like 2005, I kind of lost thought of that for a bit. I shot I shot a TX for a couple of seasons. Um, I said, I haven't shot piston gun in a while. Let's, I'll, shoot, I'll shoot it because, you know, Doug and I traveled together a lot. So, um, you know, I ended up buying one from, uh, from Greg, and uh, it, it shot pretty good. And, uh, Maryland was a lot like uh, – a lot like Ennis was, and not quite to the degree of, of the wetness factor of it, but uh, you know, it had some crazy 25, 30 mile an hour winds with gusts up from there, and it was it was pretty crazy <laughs> place to shoot at. And uh, which which, ver- which version of the Wisdom were you shooting uh, that year? I have a a 60. Oh, okay. Okay. Fixed barrel 60. And I still have it. We still have it, so it's uh, it's a safe queen. Unfortunately, I pull it mm-hmm. out and shoot it some mm-hmm. uh, occasionally in the yard, and I haven't shot it in competition for a while. I think uh, Wiscoms are one of those guns that, as beautiful as they are, uh, and as good as they shoot, and as nice as the trigger is, I think they're alive. To be honest with you, and uh, if you don't treat her nicely and you don't talk to her nicely. <laughs> <laughs> She's gonna make you pay for it, right? Right. Before the match is over with, right? And and so that you won the piston championship. And what year was the Maryland? Two thousand ten, I believe. Yeah, two thousand ten. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm sorry, I moved ahead way too fast. Um, I I don't know who told the story about the. I guess it was you shot on the 
uh, the rifle range at the Atlanta, uh, where the the Olympics were held in Atlanta in 1996. Correct. Yeah. Is it, it, was that yeah, a, they had uh, was that a Worlds or a national championship there that year? Was the Nationals. Okay. Was the Nationals? Yeah. They um, we ended up hosting the 2001. It wasn't uh, too long after the World Trade Center. Uh, bombings mm-hmm. uh the plane crashing through it that that stuff is what i meant to say um and, and the twin towers and so it was a uh, you know of course we were getting ready for all that before all that happened but it, it it created some it created some fun things that's for sure um but the, the the course was the venue was good was great i mean it's where they held the olympics and and uh so we had we had access to the indoor range for the 50 meter uh, side of things. And uh, that's where we had the side in range and you had all the like stadium seating that was all inside and they wow. had electronic scoring, which we weren't using electronic scoring, sure. but they had it. Um, we were lucky enough to have a 10 meter uh, Olympic coach uh, that came and gave, gave us all like a free clinic on one of the days on Saturday, cause we had access to the 10 meter uh, building. Um, they had a 3D archery range similar to what Heflin has as far as how the setup goes. Um, and the archery guys had gone in and cut lanes and done all that sort of stuff for their 3D archery. And they held some big tournaments there prior to us coming there. Um, so we had had that, but I can tell you it was a crazy amount of work <laughs> to pull all the stuff that we had from Atlanta and truck it and all, it. Yeah. you know, from Covington, yeah, to there and get it all set up on different courses. And uh, that was in the years when we were doing nationals that were three days long. And so you had three courses, 50 shots a day for three days straight. 150, I, right now. I either didn't know that or had forgotten that. So, so the three-day nationals, instead of what we're doing these days, I guess two days, 60 shots a day. You did three days, 50 shots a day. Yep. And that was the year that David Slade won. <laughs> He's got the big, big trophy sitting in his shop. As a matter of fact, big silver cup. Awesome. Yeah. It was good. It was good. It was, uh, well attended and we had a great time doing it. And, uh, it took me months to recover. <laughs> <laughs> From it, even with all the help, uh, funny as you say, that was uh, we had a one of the co-match directors um, was Joel Hansel, and uh, a year or two after that, he sort of he quit coming doing field target because he had family commitments and that sort of stuff. His daughters are getting older, and mm-hmm. you know, into sports and what have you. And uh, lo and behold, two weeks ago, he showed up at a match in Hef. Oh, that's awesome! Daughters both going off to college and. He said, I decided I wanted to come shoot field target. So he's, he's still got his uh, TX200 SR and his Burris scope and all that from back in the day. And it's like he never left. He just came right back and you're like, hey, Joel, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> Haven't seen you in like 10, 12 years now. <laughs> it's funny, that's it's not the first one. We've had a couple of guys that have gone away for because you know, our club's been around since the mid '80s, mid late '80s. So, uh, you know, it, we've had guys that have come and gone and come back again and gone again, mm-hmm. <laughs> some, some permanently, unfortunately. 
So you um, you won with the Wiscom that year, and then um, tell me about the two thousands a little bit. I know we're covering a, a great deal of time, but uh, you, um, you, you, did you stop shooting the Wiscom after the the Maryland Nationals and switch to something else? I know you you're you're now shooting your Steyr, but uh, what happened in between? Yeah, I went uh, from. Let's see, where did I do? I did the, the Nationals in ten with the Wiscom, and then I think I went to the Pro Target with high power for a year, maybe two, something like that, and then, um, and then had the opportunity to buy the Steyr and and uh, go back to shooting low power again, just for to play a different game. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, that's where I've been ever since. And then you you won the WFTF in 2015 when we hosted here in North Carolina and the the terrible first day. And I wanted to ask you this: um, how how were you able to do that? You posted an incredible score, and you know the winds were whipping. And uh, you know, looking back on it, what what do you think the the key was? I think, you know, there was some of it was preparation. Um, I really wasn't, uh, I, I was prepared for some of the weather. I was, I was erring on the side of, it looks like it's going to be nasty. Maybe it will be, maybe it won't be. So I tried to make sure I had my gear in order for, for dealing with it as best I could. Um, I think some of it was attrition. I mean, there was a lot of, really really good shooters uh there you know it was a really well attended match for for that um a strong field um i think it just it just got down to you know who who could stay keep their head in it um you know there were plenty of guys that that shot pretty good scores on the first day um that that were right we're still in there with it but um you know it's you know Paul, Tom Holland, and there were guys that that, that did it. Uh, I just happened to be lucky enough uh, to kind of hold it together on the second day. And having said that, a big a big thing for that was gets back to the people was people you shoot with. Um, you know, I mean, I it's you know a good a, a good shooting partner. I always try and be a good shooting partner to whoever I'm shooting with because it can, it can make, have a really big impact on not only yourself, but everybody around you. Right. So if you're having a bad day, you know, you just gotta, you just gotta buck up and, and, you know, try and contain the damage and do the best you can and, and not let it get to you and, and help the, help the folks that you're shooting with as much as you can. Um, and that's, I think ultimately that's what helped me the most on uh, on both the first and the second day of that. You know, you get the people I shot with um, were they were just they were great. They they kept my mind focused in the right direction. They didn't you know they didn't let me get in my own head, which is I don't know about most people, but for me, I'm my own worst enemy. I'm my own worst critic. So. Um, you know, they, they, they help keep the thing, keep the narration going and, and talking about things and, 
and keeping my head out of out of places it didn't need to be and um you know i really i really thank him for that because it's uh i learned a lot just because of that and uh and it really did make a big difference in in how i shot you know lewis shot with lewis uh from uh Nevet. I hope I, I hope I, yeah, Nevet, yeah i hope i guess right it's venezuela right yeah uh i think that's right Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I was pretty sure it was right. Yeah, um, I shot with him both days, uh, and then I also shot with uh, Paul Boucher, um on the second day. And I mean, he just between the both of them, you know. And, and a lot of it comes down to just luck. <laughs> I, I, you know, I hate to say I won a match based on luck, but you know, when you watch it happen and. Uh, I, I actually felt bad for Paul because there were lanes when, even though we were rotating around who shot first and second and third, mm-hmm. you know, just trying to break things up. It was just, it's one of those things and I'm sure you've probably seen it where you're squatted with somebody and every time they sit down, the wind blows, <laughs> right? No, they get up that. and the wind quits blowing and you're like, what the heck? <laughs> <laughs> and that happened to Paul so many times oh, on gee. Sunday. I, it, it was almost embarrassing. I was just like, dude <laughs> and so we switched places and i shot when he was going to shoot and it didn't change it <laughs> we sat down and the wind started blowing and i'm like oh okay but that's just how it works i mean you know it's not a controlled environment right. so it's just part of the game well you know i think yeah, back to works for you. i mean it's a sportsmanship thing in a way this the idea of just staying positive and even if you're having a bad day just uh i mean at the end of the day it's a you know i mean it's a it's a game, but you know, I th- I think that we all have an impact on the people around us, and I uh, I'm glad to hear that you know your shooting partners uh, you know were able to give you that extra extra bit to keep you focused. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean it was it was a good it's a good venue. It was a good place. Um, the weather added a whole other <laughs> yeah. ten or eleven layers of difficulty to it. Yeah, already. <laughs> I don't think you guys were. <laughs> quite ready for well you know i mean uh, you know the it's it's no secret that you know after we hosted it that year the have to put limits on the difficulty (laughs) that you could have (laughs) it was a difficult course to begin with and uh and then with the the wind and weather conditions it uh uh it it was an extraordinarily difficult course so but uh Uh, you know this game has has been an evolving thing you know, a field target and the course design, the layouts, the targets, all of it has been changing the whole time I've been shooting it. It's always in a in a role moving in a in some direction. And you know, I mean that's that's what it's meant to do. I mean it's meant to figure out and you you go one way for a little while and then people start figuring out yeah. well that's not really the best thing or it's not this isn't all you thought it would be and that was that was the trend things were getting harder and the courses were getting more and more difficult and technically challenging which isn't a bad thing um but there's a point uh, right (laughs) that it can can, and now i'm not saying that you guys if if it would have been the weather we had on sunday sure the whole time yeah i mean the complexity of that match would have been who knows where but completely different than what it was yeah for sure. Yeah. Um, so it's it, that's not really a reflection on on you guys because you've got no control over that stuff. 
I mean, you can't you can't make the weather come or go one way or the other. God, I wish we could, because man, we could make some killer field target matches. No doubt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We can control a little weather. <laughs> well, I mean, you did a good job of controlling it uh, at at the GP this year. We just did it all on Saturday when Sunday was going to be a washout, and that worked out fine. I got to go back to North Carolina, come back to North Carolina on Sunday. Um, no, you know. But see, isn't that crazy? Two matches in one year that in the spring that that, that had to happen too, and yeah. You know, looking back on it now, we did it that way and it worked. Yeah. And on both occasions. But Sunday, I kid you not, they couldn't have been more wrong. Forecast wise, total waste of effort. Oh, really? I had no idea because I was was on the road heading back. I just assumed it was, you know, cats and dogs in Heflin. Nope. It rolled, it rolled through at about six o'clock Sunday morning and was, was between five and six. It was done. And by the time we checked out of the hotel, I mean, now it would have been wet. It would have been a muddy slog. I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying that, but, uh, as far as could it have been done, uh, it could have, yeah, absolutely. We, we went over the, to the range and we're doing things, you know, cleaning up and what have you. And it was like, the weather guessers just could, could not have got it any more wrong if they'd have wanted to. So. <laughs> Live well, and learn, right? Yeah, that's it. That's it. Uh, so are you, you're going, tell me about your plans for the world's trip. You're going to head over and you're going to Wales and imagine that's very exciting. Are you part of the, the team, the U S team? Yeah, I was, uh, I was invited to be on the team and, and I'm looking forward to that. And, uh, I've got two good traveling companions to go with Who are they? Tyler Patner and I'm going to, I'm going with Tyler and, uh, Alan Otzka. <laughs> so, you know how much fun that's going to be. Oh They're yeah, going to be the three amigos. It's going to be crazy. Well, if y'all need All a re- referral fun. to, you know, if you need a referral to a solicitor over there, give me a call, um, and I'll get you hooked up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I only, I only say that because Tyler is going. <laughs> yeah, right. We're going to try and keep it on the legal side. Right, right, you know? right. Um, now it's it's good. Uh, we're going to go over uh, a week or so early, a little over a week early. Uh, and we're going to drive up to the Midland Game Fair, which is sort of like a shot show right. uh, situation for uh, over there. And uh, I think it's actually run by, if I'm getting this right, is Ian Hartford, uh, which uh, he's, he's come over to the U.S. a few times and shot at mm-hmm. Roger's place. Um, and so they, they run the European, the BFTA European Championships at that uh Midland Game Fair at the event. They actually have oh. a field target course and you go shoot it. So we're going to go uh, shooting that match on uh, the weekend prior, kind of a warm up match and, and uh, get to see some countryside. So we fly into Heathrow and we got about a two hour drive up to the Birmingham area northwest of London. Um, I think if, if my geography is working in my head right to where the match is in the Midland Game Fair. And then shoot that match on that weekend, and then make our way down to Wales, to uh, Glansic Estate, which is uh, where the Worlds is going to be, and shoot there for for that match for the following weekend, and then come home after that. So it's it's going to be a great trip. That's going to be forward super. To it. So, is, so your your wife's not going. You're just going with the guys. Yeah, just going with the guys. She was she was going to go, but it just hasn't that didn't work out. Mm-hmm. And uh, those guys were like, hey, yeah. come go with us. Sounds well, great. I haven't been over in a long time. 
Well, maybe you'll catch up with some of those guys that uh, you know that you've known in the past. I don't know how many continue to be active, um, but I'm sure there are some. There are, there are. There's, there's just uh, actually some of them uh, are, are going to be running the match. You know, Richard Boje and. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're part of the team running the worlds, so I don't know that I'll see much of him because he'll probably be up to his neck and alligators doing things. But uh, we say hi to him. I know Nick's supposed to be there, so it'd be good to see him again and do a little catching up. His kids, you know, it's funny when you've known somebody is so long. You know, I he's talked last time I talked to him, he was talking about how his daughter, which I remember being little. You know, a little girl at, at eight years old, seven, eight years old, something like that. She's married and kids, and his son. He's a grandfather. Right. Oh yeah, and his son Alex was like four or something. I mean, and cute as he could be, uh, you know, he's off at, at college, and it's like, wow, I feel old now. Uh-huh. All of a sudden. <laughs> well, you're, you're you're as old as you're, you're as old as you feel, right? And uh, you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, so, so tell me a little bit, if you don't mind, um, you know, and, and frankly, we have enough for, for a couple of hours to talk, um, but I'll, I'll, I'll wrap it up and maybe get you back on the phone or, or get you and Tyler and maybe Alan on the phone and some others talking about the worlds, but t- tell me what you're doing to prepare anything different Just shooting matches. Are you doing different things with the timers? Um, what, what, what are you doing? I'm, uh. I'm doing, not doing a whole lot as far as uh, as far as the uh, uh, just other than shooting and trying to uh, maybe a little more a little more focused towards distance work in the wind mm-hmm. um, a little bit of that a little bit more uh, focus on some offhand which is something I always need to be working on anyway that's that's sort of my Achilles heel for things um, but. Not, not terrible. Timers doesn't bother me any. That that's that's a no, no issue. I've never been one to mm-hmm. sit and mull over shots too often. Greg scares the heck out of me to watch him shoot. What waiting until the last <laughs> second? Just, yeah. Oh my gosh! Yeah, he yeah. he's got patience of Job. I don't know how he does it, but I can't sit and stare at a shot too long. I'll talk myself out of what I should be doing. I just I got to go with first gut instinct. This is what I need to do, and and. Uh, make it happen. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen. All right. Well, I wish you the best and wish, wish all the shooters that are going the best. And, you know, Ken, I can't thank you enough. I know we've been talking about doing this for a while and, uh, you know, and I, and I feel like I do have enough for, for a part two and maybe, maybe part three, because I probably have broken this into two parts. Um, when, when I put it on the, on the site and announce it, but, but Ken, I want to thank you. And, uh, I appreciate your time on a Saturday evening after a long day and um, look forward to seeing you uh, at an upcoming shoot sometime. And, and I do wish you all the best. Hey, well, I appreciate that. And uh, thanks for, for including me in on it. I've, I've enjoyed it. And anytime you want to call back, I always like talking air guns. That's for sure. Today right. shooting air guns today and I can talk about them for the rest of the night. <laughs> Well, hang on the line for, for thanks for having me. Well, hang on the line for just a second, um, and we'll chat a little bit more before I let you go. But, but for everyone listening in, I appreciate you uh, tuning in to our twentieth episode of the Field Target Podcast. I hope that uh, this conversation with Ken has been 
uh, entertaining and educational, and and hopefully it inspires you to get out there and and shoot. And uh, and and again, thanks for tuning in. Thank you.